I'm Liam Printer, and this is The Motivated Classroom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this special live stream episode of the Motivated Classroom podcast. This is very exciting because we have got Jason Fritz and Alina Filipescu right in front of me here on screens. I've got screens all over the place and they are in another country, of course, and we are talking live for the CI Reboot conference. And today we're going to be talking mainly all things target language. We're going to be talking about using the target language, how we can maximize the target language. We're going to be really discussing in detail how we can really make sure that we do, as Karen Lichtman talked to us already in this conference about the research showing us that the number one thing we can do is use the target language in the classroom. So before I speak to the wonderful Jason and Alina, this is the Motivated Classroom Podcast, so you know what that means. We must start with a little bit of Irish for everybody today. So your Irish expression today is Tashid Egg Ubber, and Egg Ubber in Irish means working. So Tashid Egg Ubber means they are working. So yes, even though many of us are on our summer holidays, we are currently working. So Tomidge Egg Ubber, as we would say in Irish. So what I'm going to do right now is say a very quick hello to Alina and Jason. And so Alina, hello and how are you doing? Hello, Liam. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. I'm delighted. And Jason, you're doing well? I'm doing well. I wish I could say hello in Irish, but I think, is it is it slansha? You're very close. Uh, that's a word I know. So so cheers. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Slancha is a very, very good one to know. It means health or cheers. Exactly, exactly. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to try and introduce Alina and Jason. This is always one of the hardest things to do, but I'll have a go at it and then we'll go straight into some of these questions and please do let us know what you think we would love to hear uh, what you guys think who are listening to this right now so Alina Filipescu has been teaching middle school Spanish in Placentia Yorba Linda Unified School District in California hope I said all that correctly for 23 years when she was teacher of the year in 2015 she's a long time TPRS CI national and international presenter and was a contributor to the Ignite language blog Alina currently lives in Orange County uh, California but she is a Romanian native. So Alina is a language lover who is studying Russian, Portuguese, Japanese, French and Italian in addition to Spanish. So a real polyglot on her hands. And her YouTube channel has over 2,000 subscribers and the video that she shared this week on this page, Making Language Comprehensible, which I think is just genius, has been viewed almost 30,000 times. So please go and check out her YouTube channel. Jason is a national board certified teacher in world languages other than English with three decades of K-16 teaching experience. He's originally from Oklahoma. He taught Spanish and French at Norman High School where he was named Teacher of the Year. He regularly presents at state, regional and national language conferences and conducts workshops for teachers internationally about comprehension-based methods and reading strategies for the language classroom. So in 2009, Jason created the Laguna Beach Elementary Spanish Programme in Southern California, where he teaches and lives with his husband and their dog. So we're going to go straight into our first question here, guys. And I might go to you first, Jason, and then I'll, I'll cross over to Alina after that. So I've compiled these questions from listeners, emails and texts and questions that people have asked me over the last year when I've spoken about target language usage. So the first question, Jason, is many teachers write to me and say that they really struggle with this 90% target language usage in the classroom, that even when they're trying their best, they feel like they're not even getting close to that, especially actually when they're dealing with beginners. So just to start with you, Jason, what's your advice to those teachers who say, I'm not getting anywhere near this 90%? We're all in it together. Actually, to give you some statistics, in 2008, the Center for Applied Linguistics 
surveyed 5,000 teachers. Uh, I was part of that survey. Probably many of you listening were also. Private school, public school teachers, elementary, middle school, secondary. And we found out that only a third in 2008, only a third claimed to use the target language 75 to 100% of the time. And I think we've, we've, we've improved. I think things are getting better, but it's a struggle for all of us. And it's a struggle from day to day. I mean, I may be, I may be at 95% Spanish use in my Spanish classes with my elementary kids, and yet the next day not feel as well, and that number may drop a lot. I think there are a number of factors, and I'm gonna include some resources, some articles that you can check out. Liam will put them in with the blog. There's a really wonderful article, Target Language Use in Today's World Language Classrooms, which has another survey of, of teachers, and it's a smaller survey, but it shows that, that the majority of the teachers in the survey have amazing goals. In that particular survey, 83% of world language teachers have a goal. We have the goal of, yes, we can do it, 70 to 100% target language communication in the classroom. And yet, even though that's our goal, a, a much, much smaller number, only about 40% of the teachers who have that goal uh, are achieving it. And this is self-reporting. So do we even really know? Do we know how much uh, lang target language we're speaking? So I think, it, it, I think what, what we want to do is we do the best we can and we need to inform ourselves. So one thing I did, I started recording my classes and I started counting. And the way I like to do it, you could use a clicker for, you know, words. You, can, you, could, re, you could use a timer, and, and I find that kind of complicated. What I like to do is watch a video. Let's say if it's a five-minute video, just a sample uh, of a class, and I count the number of messages that I have in the class. Uh, for example, my favorite color is lavender. Is lavender your favorite color also? Well, those would be two messages. What color is your favorite color? Is it lavender? Is it blue? That would be, you know, three, four more messages. And I like to count the total number of messages that I use in a class. And just in my own action research, I found that in, in my 45 minutes a week with my students, I have very limited contact time in the Laguna Beach Elementary program because I'm at two schools with hundreds and hundreds of students. We meet once a week, 45 minutes once a week is, drum roll, 25.5 hours per year. So I like to say I have a day of Spanish with my students. So every message counts. That's why I'm so passionate about this topic. And so I wanna to try to maximize the comprehensible and compelling language with my students. So really kind of recording myself every once in a while and seeing, am I, am I really committing Am I committing to communicating in the target language? And what I found is that I average over a thousand messages in a 45 minute period. Some of those messages may be a word or two. Often they're, they're a sentence, a question, and I probably average you know, a few more questions to, to statements. That's a good thing in language teaching, checking for comprehensibility, always engaging, personalizing. But I would suggest, you know, don't worry. Don't look at the glass half empty. Don't worry about what you're not doing or what, how do we, how do we look at what we are doing? Celebrate that. Cheers. What was it? Slancha? Slancha, uh, yeah, ce yeah. Celebrate what we are doing and then reflect. Look at a video or survey your students and find what's one way I can get better. 
How can I do more target language? And we're going to look at some of those strategies today, I think. Yeah, I love what you're saying there. And I think one of the things to really keep, you know, in mind when many of us language teachers are, are talking about this 90%, 75%, 80% is don't get hung up on that percentage. You know, that that's not really what it's about. I think what it's about is try your best to be in the target language as much as you possibly can because we know that makes the difference. But key and critical what we're talking about today is to keep it comprehensible and interesting. So I guess I'd, I'd pass over to Alina on that one. Just Alina, for that first kind of question, do you have any advice to those teachers in addition to what Jason said about that reaching that 90% goal of target language usage? What kind of advice would you like to give to, to people? Well, there are a couple of things I would like to say. Number one is don't feel guilty. Do not feel guilty. And then look at your language goals. What are your, or the classroom goals? What are your classroom goals, your goals for your, for your students and for yourself that year? For some teachers is acquisition. My goal is acquisition, but at different times, um, my goal is to build community. My goal is to survive the year. So having gone through hybrid teaching, two years of a pandemic, teaching on Zoom 100% of the time for, for uh, some of the months, uh, during the pandemic, our goals were different. When we were on Zoom, when I was on Zoom, my goal for my seventh graders, I teach seventh and eighth graders, so my seventh graders are 100% beginners. My goal for them was to get them to come back. How are they going to come back to my class? I want them to log in. I want them to be part of this and to see the magic of it, but they would not be able to do that if I'm just speaking Spanish and it's not comprehensible and they log in 30 minutes later. So my goal was a little bit different during that time. If the goal is to build community, if we don't have community, if we're not connected to the students, then it's hard to stay in the target language um, and give messages and expect students to understand, enjoy, be part of it, I would put at times. So community and connecting to students is very important. As an example, this past year, my seventh graders were, again, new to my class. I ask them a couple at a time. We have, by the way, I should mention this, about a 30-minute chunk of time in the middle of the day. Uh, it's called pride. That means that students may come in for tutoring. They may come in to, for enrichment to our classes. They choose where to go. So I would I ask my seventh graders to come in and I would step outside with them. That way we're able to remove our masks because having a mask on, that was an obstacle. That was an obstacle because because we could not read their faces. I get my energy when I teach from the students, from their smiles, from their faces. Their faces tell me if they're understanding or not. So I would step outside with them and just interview them for a few minutes, not very long. Tell me about yourself. What is your favorite thing about the school? By the way, if you ever have any difficulties, come and talk to me. Let us know. Let me know. I would love to help you. What's your favorite thing about this or that? And then at the end, I would always say, what am I doing to help you learn, to help you acquire Spanish? It was amazing to hear from students how they love stories and they love having actors and they loved our rejoinder cards. Students were using rejoinder cards. That building that, that connection with the student, and it was in English because these were seventh graders at the beginning of the year, they were coming in. So again, if going back to what is our goal, uh, my goal is acquisition for the entire year. And in order to build that in the students, I need to use target language. I need to use as much as possible. And 
I'm able to do it because of the skills that I've acquired over time by going to workshops, by being in presentations. Even though I went to my first TPRS workshop in 2011, December 2011, I believe, I still go to conferences. I still watch presenters. I still watch videos. I still read blogs. And that is so important. That builds our skill. That gives us inspiration. So if we don't have the training, then it's hard to to do a, a lot of target language in class. And just to be a little bit more specific, have a script. Have script out what you're going to say. If we are just going to walk in and think that magic is going to happen, you know, first of all, we're nervous. Second of all, we're also managing our classes and the students. We're trying to connect to them. We're trying to engage them. But if the skill is not there and it's not strong enough, then it's impossible to do all those things. My Model for students, model what you want them to do. When I speak uh, in English, I ask permission. So I'll say, permiso para hablar en inglés. And I will jump into comprehension checks or something important that I, I need to tell them. So I model what I want them to do. We need to do that modeling. And very quickly, I want to move into this as well, just to make sure that I mention it. I do have an FVR uh, program, a program free voluntary reading, where we read three times a week, eighth grade. Street and they choose their own books, I also model. I have to model what I want my students to do. So I'm reading, they're reading. They're reading, I'm going to be reading either in Spanish, in Portuguese, in Russian. I read my first Russian book in front of my students and I told them, guys, it's taking me five to 10 minutes to read a page or a page and a half. So again, they, they see that I'm going through the same journey or the same struggles as they are. That's so nice. Thank you so so much, Alina. Really, yeah, both of you have hit so many things there. I mean, that, and, and you mentioned a lot of stuff there, Alina, which was fantastic. I think a couple of people on the Facebook page are liking that about the, the fact that you said we've got to keep our skills up and we've got to make sure that we are going out there and doing as, be- as best we can. And of course, we need some balance in life as well. You know, we, we obviously need the break and we need to get away from things. But if you can engage yourself in activities that you love doing in the language that you are trying to teach, if it's not your native language, for which the case is many of us, and whether that is watching a Netflix series, whether that is chatting to a friend, whether that's listening to a podcast, that is keeping your level up. And that provides you with much more confidence when you are in your classroom. And so not only is competence important for the students to feel competent so that they can be motivated, but if you as the teacher don't feel competent in what you are doing you don't feel engaged or motivated in either so it's very important to keep that going so I just wanted to mention that Jason you wanted to jump in there with something when I taught French I had really low proficiency in French and I've gotten a lot better by watching podcasts and reading those Netflix subtitles at the bottom as I'm watching things it's all but it's all about what you're interested in right now I'm reading these wonderful novels by the French Arthur Eddie Belgarde and it's just fantastic. But I, 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 it's not about just language skills and proficiency. It's also about empathy. The empathy that we build for our students because we are the student. We, we are in touch with what it, be, what it means to be the language learner or the acquirer. Uh, Alina is a wonderful model for that as well. And I really love that she tries to learn so many different languages that are the home languages of her students because California is a very diverse place. I think that is also that modeling that she's talking about. I'm a learner too. And I would say to those teachers who don't have strong proficiency or those of us who teach more than one language, 
Don't be afraid. You know, you know, sometimes native speakers, we have so much language in our first language that we find it hard to be comprehensible for the novice learner. So I'm just thrilled when anyone is willing to communicate with me, with students, with others. It's just about taking risks and communicating. And when Alina said script out, that's absolutely true. And I would add to that, find out something you don't know. So today's goal needs to be I don't like or I like, and I'm going to find out in all of my students, I'm going to find out who doesn't like sushi, who loves sushi, and maybe that really sparks the story, the conversation, but it doesn't mean I'm just going to walk in and wing it. I'm going to script out. I'm going to script out my questions. I'm going to have an idea of what the students, how they're going to respond. I'm going to look at how do I do low level, level questions, how do I do either or, build up to open-ended questions. And that comprehensibility is going to make it feel fun because they're understanding. But it's hard for students to engage in communication. It, it's impossible for them to engage in communication when they don't understand. Incomprehensible language is not communication. So Alina is absolutely right. We have to improve our skills. And that means we've got a lot on our plates, but it's a, it's a wonderful thing to be a language teacher. It's exciting. And acquisition is a, just a human miracle. So it's exciting to be a part of it. Completely. Yeah. Thank you both. Yeah. Such, such great points. And I actually think I am a much better teacher of Spanish and French than I am of English. When I teach English, I frequently overcomplicate things. I frequently assume that the learner knows the word because I think it's simple. But because I learned Spanish and I learned French as an adolescent or Spanish as an adult, then I have much more empathy. I don't mean empathy for the learner. Of course, I have empathy for them. I mean, I guess, empathy for the learning process of of acquiring a language that I've been there. I've been through it. I have tried to learn that language as well. So I guess when I'm teaching English, which is my native language, it's maybe harder for me to have that empathy around what parts of it are really challenging and difficult because I just acquired it from birth. Now, that is not to say that native speakers are not wonderful teachers. There's many of them who are absolutely fantastic teachers, wonderful, brilliant teachers who know how to break down their language. But as non-native speakers, we learned the language so we understand the things that are really difficult for you. We get these things are really hard. These pronunciation bits are really hard. And I don't have that in English. When I try and teach English and I, and I explain things, sometimes the students are like, you know, they're looking at me and I'm thinking, but this is really simple, but actually to them it's not. So definitely that that's a really, it's a really interesting point. And, and actually, I'd love to just ask you both, maybe I'll go to Lena first on this one. When you talk about using target language in your classroom, do you use it, Alina, even with beginners for absolutely everything? Or do you have certain things that you say, no, I do this point in English? And I guess from my perspective, often I, I give out to students, actually, that's there you go. That is a perfect example of an Irishism that is not under, understood by most other people. In Ireland, when we say to give out, we mean to tell off, to scold. And, and so I actually scold people in English or I tell them off and I'd say in Ireland, I give out to them in, in English. I would say a kind of pause en inglés and then I would actually say, look, I'm absolutely not happy with what's going on here. You know, you're not listening to Jessica. This is not showing any respect to her. I think we need to be careful of that. Then I'm back into Spanish again and they know if I switch to English, it's serious. You got to listen up. So that's one way I use it. I, Alina, how about you? Do you use target language for everything or is there things you use English for? There are things that I use English for, but before I get into it, I do want to 
to start with a story. My daughters, my youngest daughter is in my class right now. She's a seventh grader. And my older daughter was uh, in uh, both seventh and eighth grade. She just graduated high school and she's going to major in Spanish in college. So I am a proud mom. I am a proud Spanish teacher. So when my older one uh, was in my class, I remember that my goal for acquisition was even more intense. That's why my mantra is always, how would you teach if your own child is a student in your class? What things would change? Let me also give you this background on her. She does have a visual processing issue. It's similar to dyslexia. Even though she was in a gifted program, she took lots of advanced placement AP classes in high school, she cannot read. She cannot read out loud. Uh, she stumbles over words. She, even when she reads silently, she skims the page. She cannot read every word because she doesn't see every word. And her spelling in elementary school was atrocious. It is much better now. And I was really worried with Spanish because I didn't want her to feel discouraged because she would end up in a class where every single letter mattered, where conjugations and the ends of verbs mattered and her life depended on it. So when she was in my class, I pushed myself to give target language, to stain the language as much as possible. So that way she would have it naturally in her head. And then later on would be able to rely on that in grammar classes. So having said this, I still use English. And I do have a list here of uh, some of the things that I need to use English for. I need to establish meaning. Students need to understand what the new structures are. They cannot be confused about it. Giving directions. I do it in English. However, if I do something new, I'll do it in English. But after that, whenever I'll do that again, such as running dictation, it's going to be in Spanish. A month later, two months later, the first time is going to be in English. When I explain what CI is, I need to tell them, I need to share with them why I'm doing what I'm doing because it's so different than anything they've, they've ever seen. I don't have desks in my class and, and that is different. They come in and day one, I start with Spanish, but I make it comprehensible. English is important to tell them over the year. One of the things that I tell them over and over again, class, there's no such thing as the wrong answer. There are no errors in acquisition. And I remember Bill Van Patten, I believe he was episode 17. He shared the following. He gave an example, a visual, um, a tadpole. Is it an error? Because it's not, doesn't look like a frog right away. It has a tail and it doesn't have the four legs. And is that an error? It's not an error and it's the same in acquisition. That's why students need to hear. There's no such thing as the, the, the wrong answer or I just want to hear from all of you. And when I call on, on students, it's not just one student and then or when they want to share something and then I, I tell them, oh, well, that was wrong. I just I listen to a few of them and, and that way they have the confidence to share and not worry that I'm going to focus on their specific words. This is huge. This is so important. I'm so proud of having a reading program in my my class, the FVR, uh, free voluntary reading. And like I said earlier, we read Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for 10 minutes, sometimes a little bit longer, no longer than 15 minutes. So when I introduce it, I take about a week 
and I talk about reading and the importance of reading and what Dr. Krashen says and people who read and how successful they, they are in life because the number one indicator of successful people is reading. So I want to share my passion with them. I share with them how growing up in Romania, we didn't have books. You would go to the bookstore and it was propaganda, communist propaganda. So I couldn't really get my hands on on, on books. And I remember one summer I, I discovered some books and the entire summer, that's all I did at my grandparents' farm. And I discovered my mom's textbooks in the attic and I read those. And um, so I share with them how how important and and how passionate I am about reading. And that has to be in English. So these are some of the things that I absolutely need to in- use English for. Thank you so much. That's really important. And yeah, I think, Jason, I'd love to hear what, how you use English as well. And yeah, the passion that you speak with Alina is just, it's, it's infectious and you can see that in your teaching as well. For me, it's very similar. Um, I, I, but I like to ask myself, why am I using English? And it's most of the very same reasons that Alina has mentioned. I'm, I'm explaining something, I'm explaining a new game, and I want to save a little bit of time. I know I can do it comprehensibly in English. It won't be comprehensible in Spanish until it becomes a routine for them to talk about how language acquisition works and what my students need to do. But I've even, because I have such limited contact time, I've really tried to boil that down and do as much of those kinds of things as I can in Spanish, especially for reinforcement throughout the year. For example, the first two words that I teach are mira y escucha because I want my students to know they need to watch and listen to make meaning. And I talk about the process in English, but when I'm, when I'm encouraging them, I'll say, oh, toda la clase mira, miren, por favor, o oh, escucha, escucha. We use the time that we have, and I have so little that I'm very, very conscious, I try to be as conscious as I can of why am I using English, and could I do it in another way? And so I think that reflection piece is important. I first got that idea from the book Languages and Children Making the Match. Um, Helena Curtin and Carol um, Pasola Dahlberg, their groundbreaking book for teaching elementary and, and middle school grades, K through eight, uh, foreign language instruction for an early start, grades K through eight, Languages and Children Making the Match. They first gave me the idea of put a sign up and say, okay, now we're speaking English. That, or maybe you have a place in the room that you go when you speak English. I don't do that anymore. I used to do the sign, but I really like, I like modeling using the target language as much as possible, using English purposefully, quickly, in a very limited way. And then I use the technique that I stole from Alina, which is asking my students permission to speak English. I say in Spanish, class, may I speak? Puedo hablar? Puedo hablar en inglés, por favor? And they often say, no, because I've modeled. <laughs> Your students probably do the same thing, Alina. I've modeled um, that I speak so much Spanish that they know that's just what they do. So I often have to argue with them and say, no, por favor, es muy importante. And then I keep it really short because my students expect me to keep it short. Alina and I were talking when we met and you know, when we see our students outside of class, we often speak all Spanish to them because that's just what we do. We've gotten into that habit. It doesn't mean you don't take a break and get to know them further using other vocabulary. Sure, you, but that feels like a luxury because what we do is we normally communicate 
with each other in the target language. And I, I just want to, I, I want to encourage people to try it. You know that saying of the, what is it? The, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. I believe the, the, the road for 99% target language communication begins with the first message, the first word. How about the first question? Do you like sushi? <laughs> Ooh, I don't, I hate it. Getting to know, I, I, I'm always asking my students, am I learning something new about them? Are they learning something new about each other? Are we building community? And of course you can build community in English. It's a great way to get started and then switch to Spanish and keep it going. I mean, that target, target language comprehensibility is core practice number one from Actful. Core practice number two is what we do best. We build our classroom discourse community in the language and, and nobody does it more lovingly than, than Alina. It's just like watching, oh, it's, it's artful. So don't be afraid to observe other teachers, watch videos. We we don't steal, we, we borrow ideas, and that's how we all get better. Yeah, the third thing is, once we build that classroom community, then we guide our students beyond. Now that we've got this tight-knit community, we travel together and we go into target language cultures and we start that intercultural piece early on and we reflect on things that are similar and things that are different. It's not doing one or other, it's that building the community in the target language is how we do cultural content comprehensibly. Or maybe you want to do content-based instruction and do more immersion style. That's great too, but you, until you commit to communicating in the target language most of the time, comprehensibly, building that community, those other pieces aren't going to be successful, I find. That's just my experience. No, I, I'm with you both completely and utterly. And yeah, there's, there's some really interesting comments coming through on the Facebook page. Adriana makes a great comment actually saying that it doesn't really matter if you're a native speaker or not. What matters is the kind of teacher you are. And if you're willing to keep learning and keep learning and keep learning, and that's that thing with target language, the more we use it, the more confident you're going to get at it. And, you know, Adriana is another one. If you watch her her videos on YouTube, like that is a, a native speaker who is a master at making it comprehensible and understandable and breaking it down and making it very slow. So we all have to build those skill sets. Absolutely. And that's what I wanted to get at. And there are challenges. There are challenges for those of us who are, are non-native uh, and there are challenges for those that are native and it's, it's, it's building those skills, yeah. And I think that that's the really important thing. The fact that we are here means you want to get better and you want to improve your practice. And regardless of your native speaker or non-native, what is important is the type of teacher you are, building those connections, that family in your room, learning about your students through the target language, showing them that we can communicate together. As a non-native speaker, I've acquired Spanish. I have to work on my language skills. And when I switched to CI from grammar to CI, it wasn't the easiest thing. Uh, I've learned the skill. I'm confident in that. I can shelter vocabulary because I'm not a native speaker for me personally. I'm giving you my personal experience. It, it was a little bit easier. However, I needed to have stronger language skills. As teachers who are not native speakers, that's one of the challenges. That was one of my challenges. I needed to read a lot more. I needed to listen to videos. My FER library, I have, even though I teach beginners, I have books from level one all the way to AP. And I have students in my eighth grade classes who are reading 
books all the way to AP. I've read all the books and I share with them. My Spanish is better because I have read the books in the library, because I have read Adriana's books, because I have read the, the higher level books. I've read all of them and that's how my language skills are better. So I wanted to, to add that as well. I think it's important to remember that as non-natives, we're also trying to build other skills. It's a really critical, central question is this idea of, you know, when we think about teachers who are reluctant to use the target language, in my experience, and I don't know what you guys think, but personally, and I think I I was there at one stage too it's it's just a lack of confidence sometimes in your own level that you don't feel that level of confidence to kind of be spontaneous with something that might come out your student mentions that he's got a pet turtle but suddenly you're like oh okay I've got to deal with this right now and if you don't have that level of proficiency it's very very difficult to have those spontaneous conversations so working on our own language skills is so crucial and, and we'll come back to this in a second before we do that this, these questions are coming in thick and fast I'm trying to control them here. So so one of the things that is, is people are asking about for both of you, and I'll go to you first, Jason, on this one. What are your top ideas and techniques to ensure you stay in the target language? Now, you mentioned one of them, those, can I have the permission to speak in English? Really like that. Do you have any other ones that kind of keep you in the, to in the target language? Post them, create a word wall. I And I have a very specific way that I like to create a word wall. There's no right way. Alina's word wall is completely different than mine. It's gonna be different than yours. The main thing is pr provide literacy. I like to do it as my students are growing in the language. And when I create lessons that have, you know, I'm communicating with my students with PQA and with stories and characters are coming up. So maybe bebe, mama, you know, the, the characters and the stories. Underneath the who question up on the wall, I start adding on a giant post-it paper the words that they're hearing. And so I organize my word wall over time from week to week not as a list of here's words you don't know yet, but here are words that you've already heard, you've begun to acquire to provide the literacy piece. And this is something I've experimented with only seeing my students once a week, it works beautifully. And a lot of teachers have been doing it a lot of places and I hear good things from them. So that's just an idea for a word wall. Also post questions, post responses, you know, of course the may I go to the restroom and I need a pencil and I need paper. And those are posted everywhere in my classroom. I like to use speech bubbles. Anywhere you look at my classroom, you see speech bubbles. Puedo tomar agua? May I get some water? Is posted not in a list, but next to the sink. In other words, give, give our students the language that they need and they'll, they'll speak more. Provide literacy. And when I say that, that's, that's not my idea. That's just good parenting skills. And I'll go back to what Alina said earlier. Teach like your kids in the class. Well, Canelo, my dog, is never going to be in my class. Sadly. Uh, <laughs> and with 400 and some odd kids at two schools, I'm probably not going to have any children anytime soon because it's, it's, I've got plenty on my plate. But I do like to think of myself as the language parent. I decided years ago, I am not a language teacher. A language teacher traditionally goes in and gives lists of words and we practice language and, and I correct grammar and I stopped being that person 30 years ago. I am a language parent and I've got hundreds of, of babies, hundreds of children every year. They're my toddlers. You know, it's, it's like preschool. I'm really, I figured out years ago at level one, level two, I'm still a preschool teacher, but I'm adding literacy along with that comprehensible oral language. 
And um, as a parent does, you know, a, a lot of teachers are afraid to be a communicative language teacher. Enough with the fear, enough with the glass half empty. The glass, is, uh, the glass has got something in it, okay? It may even be half full. So let's, let's not be afraid of what we can't do. Let's be excited about we, what we can do. Well, I can do this. Being honest, it's being authentic and saying, this is who I am and this is what I can do and I share it with love. California has an initiative. It's called the First Five, and it's really geared toward L1, language acquisition. But it works for L2, and it goes like this. Come on, sing along with me. Talk, read, sing. One more time. Talk, read, sing. It changes everything. In other words, it's all about communication, interaction, and input. And I'm going to put tons of videos from the Talk, Read, Sing initiative from the first five that are going to inspire you to not be afraid to be a language parent and let go of being that language teacher that has these unrealistic expectations. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I love that image of you being my language parent, Jason. I, I, I would totally love to learn languages in your classroom, that is for sure. Uh, Alina, what about you? Do you have any particular ideas or techniques that you feel really help you to keep it comprehensible that you'd like to add to what Jason said? Well, since I teach beginners, when I start with my seventh graders and towards the end of the year, I add little by little the super seven verbs. So for Spanish, those are está, hay, tiene, es, le gusta, quiere, va. Um, in English, that would be is, there is, um, likes, has, wants, goes. And I build those into my lessons, into my stories, into the movie talk, into the peaky way every day. I remember there was a time where I was stressed about covering material, even when I switched to CI teaching. And then I realized it really doesn't matter how much I cover and what stories I do and uh, what particular reading I do, because I'm using the super seven verbs. It doesn't matter. I'm going to be using them. If my peaky way is really long, because with some classes, they have big personalities and they love sharing and we build that community and they're comfortable. Peaky way could literally go for half the class or the entire period. And my periods are about 43 minutes long. I think focusing on the super seven verbs is, is really important. And then letting go and not stressing about what if I don't cover this? What if grammar at the end of the year. And this reminds me, I want to make a parenthesis here, what I do with grammar at the end of the year. In eighth grade, for about three weeks, we work on verb conjugations and students make this little verb fan and they take it to high school. And let me just tell you that when they get to their high school classes, their uh, comprehension is very high. Their output is amazing for, for many, many, many of them and their grammar skills. They can conjugate. They know how to do it. It's better than the students who focused on grammar for, you know, for the entire year. So um, I think that is really important because that also builds on what Dr. Lickman said um, the other day in her live segment on Facebook. In addition to the super sevens, gestures, I teach my students gestures because I think, yes, we acquire while we listen, but we're dealing with students. We're dealing with seventh graders, eighth graders, high school students who have a lot on their mind. Uh, maybe their attention span is not what we would like it to be. Uh, maybe they, they have trauma that they bring to class and they have things they're thinking about and worried about. I had a student I remember at the end of the year, he couldn't take one of my quizzes. I call them celebrations. He he 
told me that something happened at home and he was crying and he couldn't focus. And he had to share that because of the celebration that they were taking that day. Otherwise, I might have never known why he was so closed in, just shut down completely. So I want students to be engaged, but I want to see that engagement visibly. And that means gestures. I teach them gestures. We do TPR. And when I start talking to them and I ask questions and I use these super seven verbs or TPR verbs, action verbs, I expect the students, I want to see the gestures because when they show me gestures, that means they understand. So that is really important that I know that I am comprehensible. I mean, the target language, but I have to be comprehensible. So the minute they show me gestures, the class is not 2D anymore. It becomes 3D. And now to build on that a little bit more, I have these rejoinder cards. I have expressions that they use to communicate. Um, no lo puedo creer. I cannot believe it. Uh, así es la vida. Uh, that's life. So as I'm talking to them and asking questions, in addition to gestures, they would hold up a card. And if they're not comfortable outputting, I see the card and the card matches. It's perfect with those conversation lies, the discourse that we have. And that again shows me, shows me that they have comprehension and they're engaged. The cards show me engagement. The gestures show me engagement and that uh, the material is comprehensible. Again, going back to what I said earlier, earlier, scripting the questions is really, really important. Using compelling topics. One of the topics that I start with with seventh graders, and Jason does this as well, is pets. I love animals. I've had so many different animals. So we talk about pets. And because it was hard for students to to um, be on the spot, for lack of better words, to output in front of others, I tried not to, to make them the center of attention if they didn't feel comfortable. So they would send me their pets. And the minute one or two started doing that, then the entire class, can I send you my pets? And then I would take them outside. And even five minutes, I would ask them about seven questions. What's the name of your pet? How old is your pet? Does it cause problems? And then we would go back. So I had about seven questions. We would go back and every student has a whiteboard in my class. And I would ask the question and then give them three or four choices. So this way they were engaged at the same time and they had to choose what they thought was best and then at the end I'd have the student come up who was so excited to see the responses and by that point the student wasn't uncomfortable giving answers because I was also providing those choices for them so the student already had the language to to give back so again by keeping the students engaged visibly we have to see not just the eyes they have to do something it shows us how well they understand but one more thing timer using a timer. If if it's hard for students to stay in the target language, for me, it's really important that they do. I don't force them to, to talk if they are not ready. But the minute they go into English, it's distracting. It's distracting to the students who are in class. I can, you know, I can manage that and I can work with it. And yes, we might have better ideas and interesting ideas, but the, the English is distracting. And then the student starts, you know, on, on a, it's a chain reaction. Oh yeah, me too. And you know what? My grandma went 
went there and when she went there, oh my gosh, the same thing happened. And it's, it's just, it's hard to manage. Then it becomes a management issue. I do use a timer when I feel that it's a little bit hard to establish target language in my class. Usually it's not, but after they came back, after hybrid and online learning, it was hard for students. So we, we stayed in the target language by saying, you know what, 10 minutes, we're going to do 10 minutes. I'm going to time it. Let's see. We're going to compete with other classes. And they really got excited about that. Ah, amazing. Can, can you guys who are listening to this, can you tell the three of us like uh, using the target language in class? <laughs> can, do, do, do we come across like people who like to talk? <laughs> the three of us. I can imagine us trying to co-teach the three of us. How on earth would that go? And I want to take some of these questions because some of them are really, really good, actually. So one person is saying, what do you do if you're someone who has to change classrooms a lot? So if you have to move around from different classrooms, do you bring stuff with you or or how, how do you go about that? I did that for almost 10 years and eventually got a classroom. And the, the way that I managed to ensure that I got a classroom was to tell them I needed to do action research to show that I can improve my program by building word walls and providing literacy. And I showed that. What do you do if you don't have a classroom? And the wonderful thing is, look at all those steps you're getting, okay? Glass half full. I'm walking more. Um, maybe you have a cart. My favorite thing, even with a cart, um, is to use those giant Ziploc bags. The Ziploc XL or double XL bags, I'm not a big fan of putting more plastic into the environment, so reuse them. Uh, don't make them disposable. But I would write lessons like a PQA. I have one for pets. Um, speaking of the pet topic, and it has all of the Beanie Babies in it that might be pets that my students have or might not have but want because the real secret for a story is finding out the not. What do they want but they don't have? Um, what, what's the negative? Like, for example, I knew that Alina had all of these chickens, but oh my goodness, Ravioli's the only one that's left. What happened? There's the story. Well, apparently there was a coyote in the chicken coop. Follow the thread of communication wherever it comes up in class. That's actually in the national board standards that a, national, a master teacher jettisons a well-prepared lesson plan to follow the thread of communication. Don't be afraid. Fear is the enemy. But embrace the target language communication comprehensively, personalize it, and play. Have fun. But as a traveling teacher, I want to have my props. I need my props. Or maybe I need my speech bubbles. Whatever I'm going to need for that lesson. Maybe I need a speech bubble that says, I don't have a pet or I want a blank. And I have those ready to go in my Ziploc bag because I may have three preps, boom, 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 in three different locations. So yes, you can do it. Si se puede. If you need ideas for how to get your own classroom, contact me because you can only do that for so long, I think. Alina, I'm going to ask you the next question that's come in here. So what what do you say to those teachers? Imagine you're talking to a teacher uh, about use of target language and the teacher says, but Alina, I need to use English. Otherwise, they're just going to zone out. They're not going to do anything for me. If I don't use English, they're not going to understand. What, what do you say to those teachers? Well, a couple of things. Is the material, the content... Is it interesting? Is it compelling? And second of all, is it comprehensible? They should not zone out if it's comprehensible, if it is compelling, if it is contextualized. So I, I make sure that they don't zone out 
by giving them something to do, classroom jobs, rejoinders, the expressions that I showed earlier. The students who sit all the way in front, they have a different color card, it's pink as opposed to green or blue, and those have question words. So every time I ask a question, the student who has that question word has to show me the card. So we need to keep them engaged. And, and now, given this world of, of technology, students are designed by these, by these online engineers that programs them to, to pay attention for so long or to consider something interesting for so long. So that's why I need to see that engagement visibly by, by you know, students doing gestures or uh, using the cards whiteboards. For me, that was a lifesaver. They get markers every day. They write on the whiteboard. So that way I can use the target language and students are not zoning out. Actors. And we don't have to use actors just in a story. Um, for example, this past year I was doing a, a movie talk. Um, it's called Alma. I think many teachers are familiar with that. It's, it has to do with fear. So we talked about fear, what is scary, what, what scares me. We had lots of pictures. And then in the video, I've noticed a couple of years ago that there's a cathedral in the background. And it looked to me like Sagrada Familia and, uh, by Antonio Gaudi in Spain. So I did a little bit of research on that. And we started talking about Gaudi. And, and I was explaining to them a little bit about the, the, the history and his art and, and that he's never seen some of his creations he happened to pass away while hit by a um, by a bus and some of the students were just you know they were not really getting that input so I had students stand up I had some actors for a few minutes I just demonstrated oh class is Yama Gaudi this is Gaudi his name is Gaudi and one day he estaba caminando por la calle he was walking on the street and so then I just showed them all of a sudden the visual appeared having actors and don't feel like you have to have a story, you can have actors for a five-minute segment just to demonstrate for TPR. Really, students are actors when you ask them to do TPR. Brain breaks. Brain breaks. We don't want them to zone out. We got to use brain breaks. And I have to say, I'm not a fan of brain breaks because I get distracted by what I'm doing, by my teaching. Um, I know the students need them, but it's not easy for me to do brain breaks. So I've had to really work on that and, and read online, get ideas from La Maestra Loca from Hélène Collinet from, from uh, Spain. She has lots of ideas on brain breaks. So um, one of the things that students ended up telling me this year, because I did more brain breaks than ever before, we love your brain breaks. So that's really important as well. And brain breaks, because we're smiling, it builds, they build community as well. But I think it's important as well, Alina, that we can, we can do brain breaks in the target language. Oh, yeah. Oftentimes, many people go, oh, brain break, like we have to like have a little conversation in English. I uh, no, I don't think so. The kids just need to feel like they're having a break. And if you, and and this has been said in the comments over and over again, Jason. I know you're a big fan of this total physical response. It's a wonderful tool with beginners. Right. You know, it really works. So, Jason, did you want to jump in on that point about TPR? Just mix it up. Team TPR total physical response is my absolute favorite brain break. I'll say this: when someone says, "But I have to speak English," but I'm I'm I I I I, I want you to look at it from my perspective. 
I can't speak English. I can't do brain breaks in English. I don't have time. I wouldn't have a program. I'm down to one day per year for the whole kid. So I think we got to commit. I'm not saying you got to be 90% target language, but that journey won't even begin unless you're in the target language. So an occasional brain break in English, or as Alina said, the first time you do it, but yes, get in there and do them in Spanish. Do a little content-based instruction. You do a little dance lesson. Do something cultural. Put on a Flipgrid video of you cooking at home and talk them through it. Encourage them to make their own videos at home. And then you can ask questions. I mean, I want to maximize the target language. And I just want to be honest. I want to be blunt. I don't understand this discussion that seems to be bubbling up about how we can use more English. That's not my goal. That's not a discussion I want to have. In 30 years, that's never been my goal. My, my, my goal is how do I maximize the time I've got? And then how do I use Flipgrid? How do I use Gimkit and steal some of the time they've got at home so they can hear my voice communicating with them asynchronously so I can maximize their time? They're not going to steal my time in English. No, I'm going to steal theirs. Let's flip that conversation. Lovely. Thank you so much. God, that's a perfect timing. I think we're coming very close to the end of this. I mean, we could talk for another seven or eight hours, I think, easily on these topics. To bring it all together a little bit, I think um, both of you, without maybe realising it, you spoke frequently about the three drivers of intrinsic motivation, which are autonomy, feeling like you have some control over what's going on, talking about pets, holding up a rejoinder card, talking about things that are important in their life. But also... You spoke a lot about competence, the fact that they're understanding, they know what's going on, they can follow, they can understand what's happening. That is competence. And finally, both of you spoke loads about building relationships and relatedness, which is hugely, hugely important. And they are the drivers of intrinsic motivation. So I agree with both of you when somebody says, oh, my students are zoning out, my students, are, these things are happening. Some, take a step back and look at your practice and what is going on in there. Just because we language nerds were driven by language tables and grammar tables and fill the gap exercise when we were learning. We love that stuff. Many, many, many students are not. They are not driven by these things. So they are driven by interests and talking to each other and communication, choosing the things that they like to talk about and, and, and being flexible with it, as you both said. So, so a huge, enormous thank you to you both. I'll jump in. I'll bring it to a close. Alina said it doesn't have to be a story, and I agree, but I know she knows there's always a story right in front of you, and that's when we're talking about our kids, talking with them about them. And one final thought from me, if your child were a student in your class, how would you teach? Have that in the back of your mind as you're teaching this coming year. Yeah, I absolutely love all of those points, like so, so crucial. I think a really important thing to remember for everybody is that achievement is what breeds motivation, not motivation fosters achievement. So when kids feel like they're doing something and they're doing it successfully, which is listening and understanding and making part of it, they feel like they're they're do, they're getting somewhere. They're now they're motivated. Now they're going to put in more work, and you've built that family. So an enormous thank you, muchísimas gracias a todos. What an honor, Liam. Thank you, thank you, Alina. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure, Liam. Thank you. So there you go. That was the Motivated Classroom live stream podcast episode from summer 2022 when I was speaking to the wonderful Alina Filipescu and Jason Fritz all about target language, how we use that target language in the classroom, the ways we go about it, where we can put our concentration, just a brilliant discussion and so many things there. 
So next week's Motivated Classroom podcast will be following up on this really and me giving a little bit of my own take now that we're a few months later after I listening back to this conversation and all these brilliant points and I was making notes myself about all these things I want to include in my class. And so I'd love to hear your inputs. What do you think? This is a conversation that's ongoing, the use of target language in the classroom. How much needs to be comprehensible? How much frustration should a kid feel? You know, how much do we need to push them to make sure that they're learning and being challenged, but we also make it comprehensible? There's so many issues to this, but I guess without giving away too much for next week is that, you know, I really feel the use of target language in the classroom is incredibly important because we acquire language through listening and reading. So that for me is massive. Now, of course, this was the Motivated Classroom podcast, so we need to finish with our, our little phrase for the day, our Irish phrase, which was Tomage ag obber, or Toshiad ag obber, meaning they are working. Tomage ag obber would mean we are working. And finally, a huge thank you, Gurmila Mahagav, muchas gracias, merci beaucoup, to all of those amazing patrons of the Motivated Classroom podcast. You are keeping this going, 92 episodes in now and still going. So thank you so much. There are no sponsors, there are no adverts, and that's done on purpose. It's to allow people to support if they wish, but if you're not in a financial situation to support the podcast, that's no problem at all. But you know, if you bumped into me and you thought you'd get me a coffee to say thank you for these episodes and interviewing these amazing people and putting it out there to everyone, then great. Go ahead to patreon.com, look up The Motivated Classroom. You can get me a coffee or a lovely bag of crisps once a month, or you can just go on my Buy Me A Coffee page. And as I say, there's no pressure. You don't have to do that. Just keep listening for free. I understand that not everyone is in that situation. Just just listen for free, pass it around. That's the important thing that we get this into teachers' ears. So with that, I'll say gur mila mahagav agus salonawalia. The Motivated Classroom podcast is an original production by Liam Printer. I'm at Liam Printer on Twitter and my YouTube channel is Liam Printer, The Motivated Classroom. Full podcast notes with links to resources are available on my website, liamprinter.com. For more, find and follow the Motivated Classroom podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Graphics and music are provided by Paul Mahan. Intro clips are thanks to the wonderful multilingual staff at the International School of Lausanne.